Hey guys, it's Ellie, and this is Minute Mysteries. You're in the right place. So, if you've never listened to one of these episodes, first of all, welcome to the podcast. I hope you stick around. Second of all, let me explain what this is going to be like. So, first of all, I have this book of short little logic puzzles. They're called Minute Mysteries. They basically test your deductive skills. We're given a situation, and we need to figure out basically what's wrong with it. I do three of them. Once I have a solution that I'm either confident in, or I just run out of ideas, then we read the solution together, and then we laugh together about how wrong we are. Because, man, these things are hard sometimes. So I have gotten three out of three correct before. Although in the last two weeks, literally the last two weeks, I've gotten one out of three correct both weeks. So, <laughs> maybe this week we'll do a little bit better. I don't know, we'll see. Uh, yeah. With no more waffle, let's jump right in. Accidental death. Returning to town late one night, Professor Fordney was driving along an unfrequented road when the sight of a motorcycle policeman examining a car in a ditch caused him to stop and offer his services. Joining the policeman, he found that a man, obviously the driver, had been thrown through the windshield and was lying about six feet from the car. His examination disclosed that the man had been terribly cut about the head. The jugular vein was completely severed. The bent steering wheel, shattered glass, and the blood on the front seat and the floor of the car were mute evidence of the tragedy. Fordney also noted that the speedometer had stopped at 62. A search of the body revealed nothing unusual, except that the man wore only one glove. The other could not be found. The professor was pondering this when the policeman handed him his report of accidental death, saying, Is that how you see it, sir? I think, replied Fordney slowly, you'd better change that to murder. In the absence of any further evidence, it seems to be pretty clearly indicated. Murder? exclaimed the bewildered policeman. I don't understand how you make that out. After explaining his reason and with a final admonition to continue a careful search for the missing glove, the professor returned to his car and drove down the wide, smooth highway toward home and a good night's rest. Fordney's deduction was confirmed when the missing glove and the murderer were found. How had he arrived at his startling conclusion? All right, <laughs> so we are presented with a car crash and our job is to figure out how Fordney realized that it was murder. So there's a clue in here that points to, there's a clue in the story somewhere that points to intention, that points to this being deliberate. And something that's mentioned several times, as I'm sure you noticed, was the missing glove about how the driver was only holding one glove. And at the very end, it says that the glove was found and that the guy was arrested and stuff. So that seems to indicate that the glove is the most important clue. But <laughs> these, uh, these puzzles like to pepper red herrings in everywhere. We've been fooled before by a seemingly important clue not actually being important. So what I'm going to do is I'm still going to go over the glove clue and kind of think that through. But first, I'm going to go through some of the other clues that we find to see if those are the actual solutions. All right, let's just go over kind of the, the scene that we find when, when Fordney kind of comes on. So, first of all, the driver had been thrown through the windshield and was lying six feet away from the car. So that means he like really got thrown. So his head was cut up and his jugular was cut up. And the steering wheel on the car was bent. The windshield was obviously shattered because he had gone through it. And there was blood everywhere and it sucked. And the speedometer, supposedly when it hit into the ditch, was at 62 and it stopped at 62, which means... He was really, like, going at it when he hit the ditch, which is... Man, dude, imagine hitting something at 62 miles an hour. My gosh. <laughs> and 
And then next, obviously, there's a clue of the one glove, which is strange. Um, so yeah. Let's see, there isn't really much here to work with. Like, there's a shattered glass, there's a bent steering wheel. All these kind of seem to line up. The only strange thing, obviously, is the glove. But again, I'm going to save that for later. I'm going to kind of thoroughly go through the other clues first and kind of mull that over <laughs> before I go to the most obvious one. Because usually the solution here is not obvious. So... So my thinking is that if this were murder, which we're assuming it is because Fordney is always right, then there would have to have been a murderer, obviously. And from what I can read, there's no evidence of a murderer being in the car with him. And so that means that the murderers weren't in the car with him, and that what probably happened is that the murderers tied him up, or otherwise restrained him, or knocked him out or whatever, and put this poor guy into the driver's seat of a car, maybe like put a brick on the accelerator or some other way made it go forward, and just kind of let the car go, and just waited for it to crash. So maybe we should find some evidence of his being restrained, or him being knocked unconscious. Maybe that's where it's at. Let's see, his wounds seem to line up with the fact that he went through the car window. If he was knocked out through blunt force, then there would have been a bruise or something, so maybe he wasn't knocked out, but... Man, this is a hard one. Let's see, I didn't end up really going over much of the glove, but I can't really think of anything that the glove clue could apply to. Maybe it was to, like, cover up fingerprints from someone? I don't know. So, I'm stumped, honestly. Yeah, anyway. So, <laughs> with no other ideas, let's look at the solution. Had the man's injuries been caused only by being thrown through the windshield, there would have been no blood on the front seat of the car. Therefore, the professor knew the blood on the seat had been caused by injuries to the man, with probable murderous intent, before he was thrown through the windshield. His assailant had killed him, started the car, and then hopped off the running board, hoping the wreckage would cover the murder. Oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Because I was just thinking, like, oh, there's blood everywhere. That makes sense. He severed his jugular, and that's, you know, that's a lot of blood. But I guess that makes sense. Like, the blood shouldn't be on the seat. It should be, like, probably on the hood of the car and stuff like that. Wow. <laughs> that's kind of gruesome, but really clever. <laughs> anyway, so let's move on to the next one. Easy money. Mr. Walker hurried into the kitchen, said the valet to Professor Fordney, and told me he was called away unexpectedly, and that I was to go to his library and take the money he had won last night to the bank. I was busy, he continued, but in about five minutes I went through the hall and, thinking I heard a noise, stopped and listened at the study door. There was someone moving about. The door was open. As I peered around it, I saw a masked man, gun in hand, hesitating near the fireplace. Then he went over to the table in the center of the room, picked up the stacks of $10 and $20 bills, and left by the window. I called the police immediately and gave them a description. Exactly what time was that? asked Fordney. Just about 10 o'clock, sir. Had you been in the library before that, this morning? No, I hadn't. Were you in your master's room today? No, what's that got to do with it? Uh, nothing, murmured Fordney. Nothing at all. Does your master gamble often? I don't think so. How much did you win last night? He didn't say. Hmm, said Fordney, as he pointed to a bill on the floor. The thief dropped one. I see your master has quite a library, he continued, glancing around the large, beautifully furnished room. Do you read much, Wilkins? A, a bit, sir. Did you ever read, Honesty is the best policy? Why did the professor think Wilkins had robbed his master? Interesting, interesting. It's a butler and his master kind of game. All right. 
So let's let's summarize the story that the butler gives Fordney because the story is what we need to find a hole in, right? So let's see. Wilkins, the butler, was asked by Mr. Walker, his boss, to uh, go to his library and take the money he'd won last night to the bank. He had to have him do that because Mr. Walker himself was called away unexpectedly and he couldn't do it himself. So five minutes later after Mr. Walker left, Wilkins went through the hall and heard a noise in the study door. And there was someone moving and the door was open so he peeked in and he saw a masked man with a gun in his hand and he was by the fireplace. And then he went, picked up the money and left by the window. And then he called the police and that's all we have. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what's going on here. So... So one thing that I'm kind of thinking of, I don't know if it actually has any proof, but I was thinking that it was 10 p.m., right, when he saw the masked man in the study. And, you know, he apparently, according to him, he was able to give the police a full description of the man, even though it was 10 p.m. and he was standing by a fireplace. We don't know if the lights were on in that room. We don't know if there was better lighting besides the fireplace. So that's why it's kind of vague. But my thinking is that he shouldn't have been able to give such a good description of the man if he was just standing next to a fireplace in a dark room. Oh, one strange thing. Why was the fireplace going in an empty room? Like, <laughs> I don't have a fireplace, so I don't know how you would use a fireplace, especially back in this time. I don't know if it was just always on or if it was only on when someone is in the room or whatever. But like, would a fireplace have been on if someone wasn't in the room? That might be strange. But besides that point, I just think it might be a little bit too dark for him to give a description to the police. But I don't think that works because we don't have definitive proof that there wasn't any other lighting in the room besides the fireplace. Although I do think it's strange that from like just peeking through the door, the butler was able to know that the bills that he picked up were 10 and $20 bills. If 10 and $20 bills were on a table and you were standing like 10 to 20 feet away peeking through a doorway, personally, I wouldn't have been able to tell what kind of bills those were. Like, I wouldn't have known. <laughs> so I think just from his angle of viewing, he wouldn't have been able to tell what the bills were. Also, how did the masked man get in? Like, did he go in through the window and out through the window as well? Because you think that there would be more noise if the guy was coming in and out of the window. So yeah, that's all I got. I'm gonna go with, like, two similar theories that kind of share a couple of ideas. Um, one is that he wouldn't have been able to see what bills they were from across the room. And secondly, that he wouldn't have been able to give a description of the man just by firelight. I don't think that one has any proof, but it's just an idea I had. So those are the two ideas that I'm going to kind of have to go with. Um, so yeah, let's read the solution. Wilkins said he saw the burglar pick up a stack of 10 and $20 bills from the table in the center of the large library. Had he not been guilty, he could not have known what the denominations of the bills were. It would have been impossible to have determined this from the doorway. An unconscious slip on his part. If you are doubtful, just try to determine the denomination of a stack of bills on a table in the center of a large room from the doorway. Oh my gosh, I was spot on. <laughs> I literally said that same thing. Like, if I were standing across a big room, I wouldn't have been able to see it, right? Oh, man. <laughs> I'm so proud of myself. I actually got one right. Whew. And that was actually a really good one, too. Oh, man. So, because of time constraints and because of things outside of my control... I can't do another one today, I'm out of time for today, but I really enjoyed that episode and I'm glad that I was able to do that. And I got one right! Oh my gosh! And I was so spot on, so that was amazing. Um, so yeah, we're gonna have to cut it short. I would usually do one more after this, but again, I don't have the time. So yeah, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. I love doing these episodes, by the way. Thank you guys so much for listening. So if you guys haven't listened to the episodes of my normal podcast, which is just called Classic Mysteries, 
then feel free. I'm in the middle of a book right now. It's called Bulldog Drummond. It's super good and really funny. It's a little bit hard to, you know, understand what's going on if you start from the middle of a series. So I would suggest starting from the first or second episode just to kind of get a hold of what's going on. But yeah, it's totally worth a listen. And if you want another suggestion of what to listen to, dude, listen to Boston Blackie. It's a long series, but it's so weird. I love it. It's such a strange book. And man, I still suggest it to everyone who wants to listen to my podcast because it's just so dang funny. So again, thank you guys so much for listening. And just a couple of things. If you guys have any book recommendations or comments or um, if you guys have any other logic puzzles that you want me to try. If you wrote your own logic puzzle and you want me to try it, give it to me. That would be so cool if you guys could write your own. Uh, They're hard as heck to write though, so honestly, I don't get it. But yeah, if you guys have anything you want to tell me, email me at classicmysteriespod at gmail.com. And yeah, I hope you guys have a great day today. Before I go, I'm still trying to figure out what the unique outro is going to be for this series. So um, yeah, don't die, please. I would not prefer it. Don't put it on your bucket list. Could dying even be on your bucket list? Because, like, bucket lists are what you want to do before you die. So could dying be on a bucket list? Is that even possible? (laughs) Anyways, have a great day. I hope you guys, uh, I don't know, stay alive. Bye.